1: Welcome to another episode of the Dose of Leadership podcast, the show that brings you inspiring and educational interviews with today's most relevant and motivating leaders. Each episode is dedicated to highlight real-life leadership and influence experts who dedicate their lives to the pursuit of the truth, common sense, and
2: courageous leadership. And now, here's your host, Richard Ryerson. Hey, welcome to the show. Happy you're tuning in, as always. i got a great guest today. Amy Morin is on the show. She's the editor-in-chief at Very Well Mind. She's a licensed clinical social worker. She's a psychotherapist and a psychology lecturer at Northeastern University. She's also an international best-selling author. Her books, 13 Things Mentally Strong People Don't Do, which is how I came across her work, and 13 Things Mentally Strong Parents Don't Do, and 13 Things Mentally Strong Women Don't Do. They've all been translated into 40 languages. The Guardian dubbed her the self-help guru of the moment, and Forbes calls her a thought leadership star. Her TEDx talk, The Secret of Becoming Mentally Strong, is extremely powerful. You need to watch it. It's one of the most popular talks of all time with more than 15 million views. She's a regular contributor to Forbes, Business Insider, and Psychology Today, where her articles on mental strength reach more than 2 million readers each month, and her advice on building mental strength has been featured By so many major media outlets, including Fox News, CNN, Oprah, Today, Good Morning America, Success, Business Insider, Time. The summary of this episode, again, this is a dual episode. This is also being played on my new project, Next Level Method. So I'm playing them on Dose to Leadership here because I'm trying to steer so many members of this audience to my new project, Next Level Method. So it's a dual promotion And it's such a fantastic conversation, so you'll hear my business partner, Matt Lilly, in this conversation as well. And you'll hear Amy's amazing story and how she went through a series of losses that inspired her to study mentally strong people, starting with the death of her mother and then the death of her husband, uh, who she was newly married to, all in her 20s. And so those tragedies, she learned that building mental strength is a lot like building physical strength and that we need good habits, like going to the gym, but it only takes one bad habit and obviously to limit your progress. So it's a deep and fascinating episode, so much energy, so an amazing story, and a great episode to give you perspective on how what I call these in the mud in the mud moments and how we pull ourselves out of the mud can really transform our lives. It's a great, authentic, raw conversation. And you're really going to enjoy Amy on the show. And again, go check out my new project, Next Level Method uh, podcast. And you can also see it on the YouTube channel. It's professionally shot. And I'm really proud of this project, Next Level Method. So go check it out. So happy you're tuning into the show. As always, if you haven't done so, subscribe, rate, and review Dose of Leadership. Does wonders to keep us front and center and do the same with Next Level Method. I would appreciate that so much. So, without further ado, let's get on with this great conversation with Amy Morin here. Well, Amy, we're so excited you're on the show. Welcome.
0: Thank you for having me.
2: I'm excited to to learn more about you. You know, obviously came across your TED Talk and was captivated by what an amazing story. Maybe we start there. Start, you know, how, how you got into this space. But I think it, it's very important that the listeners kind of get the beginning, particularly about, you know, with the death of your mother and, and your first husband, all of that. So can we start there? Is that a good place?
0: Sure. Sure. So uh, I started my career as a therapist in rural Maine thinking I was going to – uh teach people uh, all the wisdom I learned in in college, everything out of a textbook. And uh, about a year into my work, my mother passed away suddenly and unexpectedly. She had a brain aneurysm. And it really did a number on me. She was here one minute and gone the next. And it just took a long time for my brain to to figure that out. Like, how can that happen? She was a, a fairly healthy woman and she was only 51. And even though I was an adult, the thought of going through the rest of my life without my mom was just overwhelming, to say the least. And so that was when my journey with mental strength started to become personal. I started figuring out, okay, I have lots of people who come in through my therapy office every day. Some of them are hopeful They are uh, genuinely happy people who are trying to make the world better. They're trying to make their lives better. But then I have other people who come in and they're bitter and they're angry and they think that the world owes them something. What's the difference between these two kinds of people? And I learned pretty quickly that it wasn't about what they did. Sometimes it was about what people didn't do. People who didn't have certain bad habits seemed to be able to be a lot more resilient. They were able to reach their greatest potential in life. So I decided I want to be like one of those people. So even though I'm a therapist and I'm supposed to be teaching people who walk into my office, I felt like I had all of these case studies and I was learning from them too. And I was glad that I did because three years to the day that my mom died, my 26-year-old husband died of a heart attack. And you're not supposed to have a heart attack when you're Mm -hmm. 26. And I was certain I was not supposed to be a widow at age 26. But I woke up, and I didn't have my mom, and I didn't have my husband. I'd lost both of them unexpectedly and suddenly. And again, I just felt like the fact that it happened on the three-year anniversary, like, is this possible? Could that actually happen? And it took a long, long time for my brain to even comprehend that and to figure out, okay, like, there was part of me that just kept thinking, I can't wait till I tell my husband, like, what I just went through. And then I had this moment of, duh, Amy, he's not coming back. You don't get to yes. tell him this story. Yeah, And... Uh, You know, and then uh, all of this, like the trauma of losing two people so suddenly, I just felt like, is everybody in my life going to start dropping like flies? Like, how does this work? And and I'm supposed to be a therapist who's going to go help other people with their problems. Meanwhile, I feel like my entire life is in shambles. And so I took as much time off as I could, which was a couple of months. And then I had to go back to work. And... I just remember thinking, like, how am I going to pull this off? My clients knew I was out on an emergency leave, but they didn't know why. And a couple of them figured it out. Uh, most of them didn't, however. So I had to walk back into the office and people saying, oh, I'm so glad you're back. Let me tell you what happened while you were gone. <laughs> and <laughs> thought, whew, How do I do this? Um, but again, I had learned, OK, I don't need a million good habits. Maybe if I just get rid of the couple of bad habits that could keep me stuck, I'll get through this. And... I did. It took a long time for me to feel like I was going to heal my broken heart and to figure out who am I now in the world without my mom and without my husband. And I did some kind of kooky things like I, I got a motorcycle and a motorcycle license and just kind of did some other things that I wouldn't probably wouldn't have normally done. But I thought, what the heck? Let's do it. Life's short, obviously. So <laughs> right. let's see what happens. And um And, you know, a few years down the road, I felt like, okay, I've sort of built this new life for myself, kept some stuff in it, uh, but got rid of other things and uh, was fortunate to find love again. I thought I'll never get remarried, not interested. And about the time I was convinced that I was going to be comfortable with that, uh, things changed. So I got remarried and I thought, "Woo, I got a second start in life. This is great. But right around the same time, my father-in-law was diagnosed with terminal cancer and Unlike I'd lost my mom and my husband, I didn't know it was coming, but this time I did. They told us my father-in-law had maybe three months to live, and I thought, now I have to sit around and dread this for three months. How do I get through this? And so I wrote myself a letter of what mentally strong people don't do, and it was all the things I'd learned in my therapy office over the years. Just don't do these things and you'll be okay. And I found that letter helpful, so after a few days of reading it over and over and over again, I thought, maybe somebody else will appreciate it too. So I put it on the Internet and thought like five people would read it. But 50 million people read that list. Mm. And one of those people was a literary agent who said, you should write a book. And I said, well, I'm a therapist and I don't tell people my my story. I listen to stories, so I don't think I can do that. But thank you very much. And she said, no, really. And I said, the article that went viral was literally just a list. It didn't give the backstory. And I said, but I have a story. I didn't write this list because I mastered it. I wrote this list because I struggle with it. And uh, she assured me I didn't have to tell the story, but that it might do some good if I did tell the story. People might take the list even more seriously. So within the month, we had a book deal with HarperCollins, and here we are a few years down the road, and I now have four books, and I get to travel the world and speak and write about mental strength. Uh, and now I get to live on a sailboat in the Florida Keys and write more books and talk to cool people like you. So it certainly changed the course of my life. Those six hundred words, uh, but it was really born out of my own experience uh, as a therapist and my experiences going through pain.
2: Yeah, it's it's almost like I, I can I, I can't imagine. I try. I'm, I'm trying to empathize and trying to put myself in that situation. I I guess I would find myself if it was me. I'm trying to think. I would really be thinking the universe is out to get me. And I think that would probably be the first place that I would go. And um, if I look at your your list, I mean, it kind of reminds me not that that's not the case, right? But how did you – I don't know how – I would find myself struggling to dig myself out of that hole. I mean, mm-hmm. what, what do you think when you hear me say that?
0: Yeah, yeah, I had those moments where I thought, again, the fact that my husband died on the three-year anniversary yeah, of the day my mom really died, I weird. thought, wow. that's, I mean, and the, the story is bizarre, too. The last place I saw my mom was in yeah. a high school auditorium, and then my husband and I went to that auditorium the same day, and then he died, so people are like, either you're cursed or that auditorium is <laughs> right, cursed, but... Right. <laughs> but i had those moments of just of thinking that and uh you know i have a strong belief in god but i also believe god isn't supposed to give you more than you can handle and i had those moments where i thought oh yeah he totally overestimated <laughs> and there's no way i can get through this and i just couldn't envision going through the rest of my life without my two favorite people it just seems right. awful and cruel so yeah i had those moments where i thought that Uh, But then I realized, okay, I can spend the rest of my life truly believing that. And I knew if I believed that the world was out to get me, like, I would make it true. Every time I got to a red light and the light was red, I would be like, more proof the world is out to get me. And it would be really easy to fall into that trap of thinking everything bad that happened was more evidence rather than realizing, okay... I had some uh, pretty bad things happen, but I also have good things happen. And just because more bad things do happen to me sometimes doesn't mean I'm doomed or that uh, I'm going to keep suffering for the rest of my life.
2: Well, and that kind of gets to the foundation of 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 changing habits. Mm-hmm. What you said right there is like even though you didn't feel it internally, there was like a conscious internal or intentionality behind saying this is the type of person that I want to be. I don't feel it. But what would that person do? I don't know if you were explicitly saying that in your head, but that's kind of what what I see was happening is like, this is the person I want to be. This is what a normal, healthy, happy person would be doing. I'm going to do that, even though internally you don't feel it. Does that make sense?
0: Yeah, you hit the nail on the head. I'm a firm believer in behave like the person you want to become. And it's something I'd worked with therapy clients on over the years. People would come in and they say, well, I need you to make me more confident, Okay, well, what would you be doing if you were more confident? Well, I'd go back to college. Great, let's just go back to college. Let's sign up for classes tomorrow. And they're like, yeah, I can. I don't feel confident. No, that's how you get confidence. You (laughs) have to act like a confident person. Or people that will say, you know, I I just need you to fix my depression, but I've been sitting on the couch for six weeks. Well, if you haven't left the house in six weeks and you haven't talked to anybody and you haven't done anything, like, I don't have any magic wands. We're going to start putting you out there and saying, okay, what would you do if you weren't depressed? And... I felt like the same thing, and I went through that as, okay, if I act like the world uh, has definitely done me a lot of harm in life, then I'm sure I'll make that come true. It'll be a self-fulfilling prophecy, but if I still want to be an optimistic person who lives a fairly good life, I have to get out there and do it, even when I don't feel like it. But We're
2: allowed to feel sorry for ourselves at those moments, right? I mean, I think, I know that's your first one, is like, you know, bad habits, we don't feel it, but it just doesn't become our identity, I think. I think that, to me, that's the difference. I'll give myself... X amount of time to feel sorry for mm-hmm. myself. But then I got to stop at that point. I don't know if that makes sense. That's what I internally do.
0: Well, you know, there's a big difference between self-pity and being sad. We should always yeah, that's true. embrace like it's okay to be sad. Sad's often part of the healing process. You don't want to skip over the pain. But self-pity, when I talk about it, it's more like when you exaggerate how awful and horrible things mm-hmm, are yeah. and you underestimate your ability to to deal with it. So if I start thinking my life is worse than everybody else's, there's nothing I can do, there's no hope for me, that's when I fall into that self-pity trap. And it's a dark place to be, and we've all been there, I'm sure, at Mm -hmm. least uh, for a little while. Mm -hmm. But the longer you stay there, the harder it is to pull yourself out of it. And then sometimes we invite other people to our pity party. We want other people to reinforce, yep, this is awful and there's nothing you can do about it. And then we really stay stuck there. Yeah
1: and and for me and since you know this is obviously your space and your profession what's what is the differentiator when people can actually do it and when they can't right cuz i'm sure you'd work with people and they could make the switch but then there's also times when where you know people can't make the switch and i guess what's the mental i mean help walk me through how how you know, sometimes people are just in a funk for years, right? Or maybe their whole right. life. Um, and then you, you have somebody who's maybe similar circumstances and they're in a funk for a while, but then they can make the switch. So what keeps people, I guess, from making the switch or what empowers others to make that switch kind of from that space of, um, uh, what do I want to call that? That space of um, abyss or, or being lost to, to actually figuring it out, to, to sticking to the 13 things that you talk about.
0: Yeah. So a few things. Sometimes people truly believe like my life is awful and it's never going to get better. So in my therapy office, sometimes we can look for exceptions to the rule. Like what's something good that happened today? Because after a while you can train your brain to just always be on the lookout for the awful stuff, the proof that your life is awful. So we start looking for the exceptions. Yeah, well, somebody was nice to you yesterday or you got a raise at work, whatever it is. Like, let's look for a few exceptions to the rule. And then sometimes it's all about asking for when people are really stuck in that place. It's about saying, well, what do you get out of believing that? Because sometimes when people dig in their heels and they think my life is awful, it's like a way of giving themselves permission to say, well, I don't have to do anything about it. Mm -hmm. If I, you know, nothing's ever going to work. So there's no sense in trying. And we know that when people are struggling with mental health issues, say depression and anxiety, it distorts your brain. It's hard to know which thoughts to believe and which ones not to. And just to differentiate because sometimes people get confused they think that mental strength and mental health are one and the same so if you have depression you're mentally weak that's definitely not the case and the best way to explain the difference is if we talked about physical health and physical strength if you were uh, going to the gym to get big muscles, then we know it might ward off some physical health issues. You might be less likely to get diabetes, but it doesn't mean you won't ever get an illness. You could still get sick. Mental strength and mental health is the same. Some of the strongest people I've ever met were battling depression and anxiety, but they were still making choices every day to, to grow mentally stronger. And so for people that just I don't want to build mental strength, sometimes we look at that. What's the pros and cons of staying stuck right where you are? Sometimes people... getting something out of it like well my family waits on me when i don't when i host a pity party or (laughs) nobody expects anything of me when i tell them that i'm in a dark place uh so then therefore why would i do anything different or it's hard to say i'm gonna pull myself out of this when you're afraid of what if i try my hardest and i don't feel better Mm -hmm. and there are always tools you know talk therapy works for some people not for everybody some people want to try medication some people try a holistic approach some people just create a different kind of a lifestyle. Sometimes it's about changing our environment. Maybe the job you're in is keeping you stuck or maybe uh, you're in a really unhealthy relationship and making some changes there could help. It's not always inward. Sometimes we can say, how do I look at my environment and make changes that also set me up for success too? What
2: do we, I was thinking about this. What do we do when we see this in somebody else? If I see my spouse in this Abyss, or my kids, or somebody I really care about. What What are my options and tools that that can help, or my obligation for for this this person?
0: Oh, it's so hard when we see somebody else stuck in a dark place. And our natural tendency is to offer, offer to give them advice. Oh, you know what would help? You know what you should do. And that's really the last thing that you want to do because most of us, when we get unsolicited advice. We don't listen to it in fact we do the opposite and there's research that will show that when you tell somebody here's what you should do they're not thinking oh you're right they're actually thinking of all the reasons why they shouldn't do that thing so it can have the opposite effect so one of the best things you can do is just strike up a conversation not as a way to offer advice but to listen yeah and then to validate how somebody's feeling because sometimes somebody will be like oh my job is awful And we want to make them feel better. So we say something like, oh, it's not so bad. You have this, this, and this. Or remember how much you get paid. Or it's not as bad as this other guy's job. That's not helpful. We're like minimizing their feelings. You just want to validate it. Like, gosh, that must be really tough to have to feel that way when you wake up every morning. And then to turn it back on them rather than saying, you should just go give your boss a piece of your mind. Or you should quit that job. Ask them, have you had thoughts about what you could do about this? Maybe they've thought about those things and they just aren't sure what to do. But I'm a firm believer if we just listen to people and validated how they're feeling, they'll make their own conclusions. And as a therapist, it's tough to do sometimes. People come yeah. into my therapy office and I want to be like, okay, you want to get better fast? Here are the five <laughs> things you should do and check right. them off the list. But right it doesn't work. Um, you know, I can offer ideas and I can prescribe certain things, but then it's up to people to decide what they're what's really going to work for them. We know when people do something because somebody else told them to. I mean, we only do it half-hearted at best because we just want to come back and say, I told you that wouldn't work. Mm. So it's best when people can come up with their own solutions and we support them. Even if somebody comes up with a solution and you're thinking this probably isn't going to work that's okay. Maybe it will for them. It might not work for you, but it doesn't mean it won't for them. So be supportive and cheer them on and say, let's, let's see what happens next.
2: I love that advice. I mean, if I think back to even as I've learned how to become a better coach over the last decade, and I even look at my relationship with my spouse and my kids, first half of the relationship was definitely more about trying to fix a problem Mm -hmm. and then when i started shifting towards asking more and listening asking more the open-ended questions right that's what a coach does anyway right you you try to extract you you Mm -hmm. see this other person as a fully creative human being who's capable of solving this and then you ask the questions and hopefully they see it i i I love what you said there but yeah i I just didn't know if that was kind of the same from a therapist standpoint (laughs) yeah you said i've been there as a coach sitting there like okay this is what you need to do and i know that's like kind of the Worst thing a coach can tell them is right. right instead of trying to extract it from them, but that, that's great. Yeah, what about you, Matt? Do you notice the same thing like asking more questions? Yeah, that's
1: and that's for me is hard, right? Uh, that's again, most of my life I've spent uh, giving directions, right? And and just saying, oh, do it this way, do it this way, do it this way, and then and then to shift over into that role of being more supportive, listening as you talked about, being. Uh, empathetic with what they're, what they're feeling and the emotions without fixing. I mean, I know men typically get a bad rap anyway for, well, it's not, I mean, I remember seeing some video online or on the internet where a woman had a nail in her head and she was talking about, she had a pain in her head and the and the guy was saying, well, there's a, and, and he was not actually empathizing with her feeling. He was just trying to pull the nail out of her head. Right. And so I, I think, especially for me, uh, uh, yes, yeah, that's definitely been the case of, I've found that uh, I, I'm a better friend, I'm a better spouse, I'm a better uh coworker when I'm actually engaged in finding, uh, opening up space and asking questions to allow people to find their own solutions, right?
0: Yeah. Right. If we treat people like they're the expert in their own lives, mm-hmm. uh, wonderful things can happen. And to know that when somebody's not quite ready to make a change and we try to force it, it usually backfires. Instead, we know that people... Uh, need to come to that place where they're ready to change on their own. And sometimes talking about their feelings and having them say things out loud moves them along that process. It might not be at the speed at which we wish they would move, but that's super important is to let them move at whatever pace they're comfortable with.
2: When you look at your list and you, and you wrote these down, I'm picturing yourself you what know, I call these splat moments. We all have them in the varying degrees of, of severity. I would consider yours pretty severe, mm-hmm. a couple big splat moments and, and at some point, you're writing this list down. Is there anyone that stood out in particular? Do you, do you Can you remember kind of that aha moment when you said, yeah, this is rock bottom, and now I'm starting to see – I'm starting to climb out of the mud now? You've definitely been in the mud. Now you're starting to see yourself pull yourself out of the mud. When you look at that list, is there anything that stands out?
0: Uh, yeah. I guess, you know, the number two on the list was that mentally strong people don't give away their power. And I just remember when I was going through grief, how many people had lots of advice for me <laughs> about what to do <laughs> and when I should you know, do this or how to make financial decisions. And while everybody was well-intentioned, I had to just remind myself that I didn't have to do what they said. And even though some people might have said like, gosh, I know exactly what you're going through and I've been in the exact same situation, it wasn't the same. And so just like I don't want to give people advice in my therapy office, I just had to remind myself I didn't have to take other people's advice. I knew my head wasn't on straight, so I did go to trusted people and run scenarios by them. Like, what do I do with this? Or how do I handle um, practical things? Like, if I'm going to sell something that was my husband's, how should I do that? But on the other hand, I knew I just didn't need to take unsolicited advice from strangers, especially, or well-meaning people. I can't tell you how many people said things to me like, I know exactly what you're going through. My husband passed away last year. Well, they were like 85. So I was like, (laughs) well, (laughs) sorry for your loss, too. However, um, that's not quite my situation. So I just really had to, I guess, empower myself to say nobody can do this for you. You're on your own now. You need to make these decisions and be careful about who you take advice from. Be careful about who it is that you uh, seek out. Because again, I knew I wasn't thinking clearly. My judgment was clouded because my emotions were so high. But on the other hand, uh, it wasn't up to me to try to make other people happy.
2: Is that your favorite one? If you if you look at that 13, is that is that kind of your, your baby of all of those, would you say?
0: It is. I mean, even to this day, I'll have moments where I'll complain about someone and then I think, you know, Amy, (laughs) it's up to you to decide how you spend your time, who you spend it with. And if you don't like what somebody's doing, you can either choose to tolerate it or do something about it. And so to this day, even though it's been years since I've written that list and it's been something I've worked on, uh, it's still a great reminder to me that if I'm complaining about somebody or if i'm if i wake up at two o'clock in the morning and i'm angry about what some something somebody did like that's a surefire sign it's mm-hmm. not necessarily them it's me i need to do something different in my life
2: one thing that i was thinking about and certainly for the past eight years having all these conversations and kind of an aha moment for me what i've learned is that all these feelings that we have that we see of limiting beliefs of doubt or fear and I guess we're along the same vein of what you've experienced in these kind of this tremendous loss and having, again, a serious in the mode moment and pulling yourself out of the mud. Is, it's something that never, how do I phrase this, completely goes away. I guess and you talk about it in your TED talk in the beginning, is like, hey, I've got this, I got my, I'm, a, I'm a psychotherapist now, I'm 22, i got the house on the hill, I've got the car, I've got the husband, life is great – but now after going through that, it's like – in other words, you never get to a point where it's all unicorns and rainbows, right? It's like there's this acceptance that life is is pretty crappy sometimes, but that's part of the journey, right? And, and obviously I think looking at you and listening to you, you've come to that acceptance point. I guess what I'm saying is you still deal with this fear and uncertainty. I mean it hasn't gone away even though you've mastered these lists I guess, right? That's what I'm kind of getting at. you You are still – someone that deals with fear, anxiety, limiting beliefs, and when's the other shoe going to drop, right? Is that a fair question, fair statement?
0: Definitely. When life gets too good, I have a moment where I sort of think, (laughs) oh, geez, it's not going to stay like this. So, you know, whatever bad thing's going to happen, just make it happen now (laughs) because I feel like it just can't stay awesome. And and I do. Like I have, you know, ongoing anxiety about the people that uh, I care about in life. And so if I live on a sailboat, you have to climb to the top of the mast like 70 feet in the air. I hate heights, but I'm all, Oh, I'll do it. And it's not because I'm a nice person. It's because it's way less anxiety provoking for me to shimmy up that Mm -hmm. mask than to watch somebody. I don't want to watch my husband get up there. so (laughs) He's just accepted. If Amy says I'm going to do something like, (laughs) (laughs) I'll, I'll let you do it because, uh, and not that I'm trying to be all big and brave or anything like that. I'm like, no, it's way less anxiety provoking. I'm just trying to manage my own life right now. Cause I do have that fear. And, um, you know thankfully my husband doesn't perform lots of stunts or go out and do any crazy <laughs> things because i think my anxiety would be way too high because i would just wait for the other shoe to drop and think what's going to happen next and and so yeah it definitely affected my brain it's affected my outlook on life um and in some ways it's made it better i probably wouldn't have moved to a boat in the florida keys otherwise but it came to my attention of It's great when you say you're going to do something someday, but someday isn't promised. If I really want to live a good life, i got to get out there and do it right now. And I don't have any regrets. If I'm fortunate enough to live to be 95, I don't want to look back over my life and be like, well, she sure played it safe. That was a great job. I want to live. I want to get out there and and do fun stuff and make sure that I am enjoying my life to the fullest.
2: That's what I love about your answer. And that's really Mm -hmm. what I was kind of getting at is like, how do we... Because despite all of the bad stuff that happens, you can still live a life of joy. In fact, it's probably ten times richer mm-hmm. because you went through that in-the-mud moment, right? And, like, you couldn't have the richness and the joy without the mud, I guess, is what I'm getting
0: at. Is that make well, sense? That's just it. My life was pretty easy until mm-hmm. I was, like, 23. and <laughs> And I think I didn't appreciate it enough because I didn't know otherwise. And now that I know what it feels like to be at the absolute mm-hmm. uh, pit of despair, well, let me tell you, a mediocre day isn't so bad anymore, or the things <laughs> right. that used to bother me aren't even scary anymore. I used to be the kid that didn't dare read my paper in front of 12 kids in in the class. My mm-hmm. English teacher used to read my papers for me because I was like, oh, what if I embarrass myself? I stumble over my words. My face turns red. That would be awful. let me tell you i gave the eulogy at my husband's funeral and in that moment i could have cared less what i looked like i just wanted people to hear these stories and it changed my entire life in so many ways because those little things now i'm like ah i don't care so that's what gave me the courage to give a ted talk i thought if i can give a eulogy at my husband's funeral when i'm 26 i'm pretty sure i can stand up in front of a room full of people and give a ted talk and if i embarrass myself so be it
2: right
1: yeah that's just it's just I love your energy I love it's amazing have have you um you talked about higher power god however you want to frame that but have you linked just all the people that you're helping now because of I mean without that those the catalytic events happening right you probably don't write a book you probably don't mm-hmm. speak worldwide you probably don't, you're not here with us today sharing a message right of hope and and of mental strength so i guess in the bigger scheme of, of, of your life, have you kind of linked up that this thing kind of had, I mean, I won't say had to happen, but was a catalyst for you helping just thousands and millions of people, right?
0: Yeah, definitely. I'm Again, I'm like the world's least likely speaker. Like, <laughs> I mean, I... <laughs> It was. I had to give a speech at my high school graduation, and it was horrific. And I remember thinking, like, who on earth would ever do anything <laughs> like this? And so never imagined in a million years that that's where I'd be. And granted, I wish I didn't have to go through those things right. to get where I am now if right. I could undo it. And right. sometimes people will say, like, oh, this is great. You get to do all this stuff now. But... Like, well, it doesn't really even out. It's (laughs) it's not like I'm happy that I had to trade those things in. But on the other hand, I'm not sure that there was another path to get to where I am now. And I'm grateful that I get to take the pain that I've been through and at least kind of make some sense out of it. Or if it helps one person, then... um, makes it a lot easier to tolerate
2: well that's the power behind the intentionality behind it because yeah. i'm always amazed because like, you i could experience the same event that you did you know mirrored it happened at the same time you and i could be on a plane and everybody dies except you and i live you take that event and it's a, mm-hmm. as you said a catalyst for positive change i turn it and i sink and i never i never recover i, I sink into despair depression and, and alcohol abuse whatever Now i'm most always a, but uh, to me your intentionality of of choosing it may not seem like you hadn't had the choice, but you actually did. You had choices all along the way, and and the choices have led to this. So, right.
1: and ultimately, the thirteen things are choices, right? The thir- the list right. of thirteen are thirteen choices. And 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 you know, as I've dove deeper and deeper into this type of work, it seems like people that take their pain, whatever pain it is, real or perceived, whatever that pain is, some people take that pain and it's like they bottle it and they refine it and they turn it into like super fuel and their superpower. And then others get stuck in just kind of that victimhood or victimization, you know, where they where they let it keep holding back. Some right. people use it dr- just like you. I'm just amazed at how this is driven you forward and I just want to come down to Florida and see your boat. Yeah, exactly. I'm new to <laughs> sailing and to I, an open... I'm like, how big is the boat? Where's it at? <laughs> how, 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 how often you say? I have all these sailing questions now I want to ask, but well, we'll do that another time. <laughs> you have an
0: open invitation. Thank you. Well, I was really fortunate that I was a therapist. I think right. had I not been a therapist yeah. when these things happened right. to me, it would have been awful. I at least had that head knowledge. Right. And the other thing that we know when some people go through tough times and they grow from it and some mm. people go through tough times and they get stuck, it often depends on social support. Interesting. And for me, like I lost my mom and I lost my husband, but uh, I was fortunate. My husband's family basically adopted me. They're still I still spend holidays with them, and that sort of a thing. Even mm-hmm. though I'm remarried, my second husband still hangs out with my first oh,
2: husband's cool. family,
0: yeah. and um, and my friends. I've had the same group of friends since we were in preschool. I yeah. really didn't divert very much from <laughs> <laughs> from my my social group since right. I was four. But you know, they really like. One of my friends was like lived in boston i lived in maine and she's like i'm gonna work from home three days a week and i'm gonna sit in your living room and do it i mean who does that but i was so lucky that i had so many supportive people in my life to help me through it because i think that's definitely key when they looked at like um 9 11 and the people who grew from it the people the first responders and people that were um right there when it happened the people that grew from it social support was often one of the biggest factors is people who had close friends and family that they could talk to tended to be able to take their pain and in, turn it into something so they felt like they were able to make their lives better as compared to people who lack mm-hmm. social support i mean it makes perfect That's sense
2: it. but i don't think i've ever really intentionally thought about
1: that well and so that was going to be my next question is so you know there's you know, we've just been through covid you know shake the world up and toss it back out and see what happens and so it, if uh so, if somebody's listening right now and they don't have a strong social support network, maybe they've moved. I've heard of people like literally, I was talking to somebody that moved to, to Wichita and for a job knew no one here, had no support structure here. Now, I know obviously, you know, with the viral or the, the world we live in, social and all that stuff, calling and video and all that fun stuff. But if somebody doesn't really have a strong su- uh, social support network, but they want change and they know they need that, where 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 would you recommend they w- would turn? Yeah, that's a good question.
0: That is a good question. And um, when we looked at studies, too, and we asked people, like, 20 years ago, how many friends do you have? People mm-hmm. said three. When they asked <laughs> that same question recently, people said zero. Wow. They don't have anybody that they could really talk to or that they feel comfortable wow. calling when they're in a crisis. And I think that's tragically sad, and I think that puts us all in a very precarious position, if you don't have anybody that if you have an emergency at two in the morning and you don't have anybody that you could call that you think is going to be able to drop everything and show up on your doorstep, that's a scary place to be. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I think one good place to start is to just look into your old network, maybe your old friends, Mm -hmm. your old uh, college roommate, somebody, but to reach out to people. And if you, they aren't in the same vicinity, that's okay. It's still a good place to start. And you just make a phone call, connect with somebody on social media and strike up a real conversation, not just liking their family yeah. photos. And and then to figure out how do you meet people as an adult, right? It's a weird place that we're in as adults. You think, well, if I don't have you know kids, because sometimes we make the mom friend or the dad friend or something like that. But if you don't have kids or your kids aren't active in sports or that kind of a thing, how do you meet people? other than a bar or uh, something like that. But you got to get creative. Sometimes it's about volunteering mm-hmm, or it's about mm-hmm. joining a club or an organization or finding who are your people. Is there an entrepreneurial network, a business center, something that you can get out and meet other people who maybe are like-minded. And maybe it starts out kind of like business networking because maybe that feels more comfortable at first, but mm-hmm. then you develop a real friendship where you can talk about things outside of business too.
2: Yeah, that's good advice.
1: Yeah, totally. I, yeah, I, I, and I, I'm just shocked to hear it actually it made my heart hurt. I actually started to tear up a little bit when you yeah. said people had said they had zero people they could call. I just went, wow, that that's just a whole nother level of isolation, I guess, that I didn't even know really existed like that. So. And wow. I think
0: it's going to be worse after COVID because a lot right. of people haven't been doing anything right. with their friends for well over a year, a year and a half. So what do you have to talk about or how do you reconnect with those people? And uh, now that a lot of people are working remotely, they just don't have face-to-face contact, or it's changed. Your coworkers have moved on to other positions, and I think people are going to be quite lonely for a while. Some people are really going to struggle. So mm-hmm. I thoroughly encourage people to put yourself out there and, and meet someone um, that you can be friends with.
1: And that would probably – you talk about habits a lot, but that would should become a habit then. If if that's what you need to build your social support or your social community, then you really need to make that a habit, take some type of baby step. Maybe it's every day or something. You're You're reaching out to somebody – You know, through message or calling, right? I mean, you can't just leave it to fate. It's not just going to magically happen. you got to be active in this, right?
0: That's it, exactly. So it might be that you uh, join two organizations and you go to meetings every week, you join a church, you do something, but put yourself out there as often as you can and strike up conversations with people and um, see where it goes, but to just make sure that you are connecting, get to know your neighbors, A lot of us have lived in the same place for 20 years, and you're like, oh, if I saw my neighbor in the grocery store, I wouldn't recognize him. Mm -hmm. It's wonderful if you can connect with the people around you. Yeah,
1: And you do talk about habits, I know, especially in your TED Talk, but what are some of the habits that you use in your life just to kind of stay on a positive course or stay moving forward?
0: So I'm a runner Mm -hmm. um, of sorts. I don't run long distance, but... uh, I like to time myself to run a mile. That's Mm -hmm. one of the ways, I guess, for me to say, how do I um, strive to get a little better today than I was yesterday? I run a mile and time myself every day and um, just try to get a little faster. Mm -hmm. And that's one of the things too. It gives me an opportunity to practice all these mental strength skills. I teach other people because three quarters of a a mile, my brain is all stop running. Your legs are on fire. (laughs) Your lungs can't take this anymore. And I have to push through the pain anyway. So that's one thing that just gives me an opportunity to to practice all the skills in one place and i don't compete against anybody else i'm not trying to run a marathon i just want to run faster than i despite the fact i'm getting older every day i'm still trying to outrun what i did yesterday so that's one thing and i guess another one is in terms of like staying connected with friends and family uh even though i live on a sailboat i get to do cool stuff they come visit me and um we get to hang out for like a week at a time as opposed to, you know, an hour over coffee. So I always try to have stuff on the calendar that I'm looking forward to. Mm -hmm. And a a lot of that involves friends and family. I feel like um, we all need things to look forward to outside of work or making money. But if you just have those, something on your schedule, I'm going to a concert say later in the month with a friend and I'm going to actually go to Maine and visit my friends and family uh, earlier in the month. Those sorts of things just make such a big difference in, in my overall well being.
1: Very good tips.
2: Yeah, yeah, it is. Are they habits that, are they like daily habits? I mean, I know one thing I always struggled with is I think, yeah, it's kind of like losing weight. It's like, yeah, I'm committed and I get all excited and I say, I'm going to get up at five and I'm going to journal and I'm going to pray and I'm going to exercise and I'm going to do more before 7.30 than anybody else. And then I tried to do too much, right? And then when I shifted to just doing just a gratitude, just, just so that, I'm going to get up, my feet hit the floor. I'm thankful that my feet hit the floor. and I start looking around. and I'm like, oh, my my life's healthy, my pets are healthy, my kid, I got a roof over my head, right? That made a big difference to me. Just starting small, I guess, is my point, instead of doing- Yeah, and one of the things
0: I do in my life, because so that I don't overwhelm myself, like, okay, starting on January 1st, I'm going to change everything about my life. I'm a huge fan of 30-day challenges. So if for one month, I make something a top priority, I can make a huge difference. And it started about- I guess a year and a half ago, I had met this guy that got six pack abs in 28 days. And I was all, hmm, I wonder if a woman can do that. So I called his trainer and he said like, eh, maybe, but for one month, that was my priority. I was like, I'm going to just like kick this into fifth gear. I worked out like, like crazy and I did all this stuff and I made it happen well there's no way I want to live like that like if I my physical health was my top priority well my social life really took a dip I couldn't do much because I was working out and worried about eating but but then maintaining six-pack abs like no problem that can fall down to like number six on the priority list and I can maintain it but Same thing, if the next month I say, all right, I'm going to kick this into high gear, my social life, or gratitude, or something like that, and I make a big deal out of it for 30 days, I'll see a huge difference in my life. And then you move on to something else that can fall back down the priority list. It's just, sometimes for me, like, let's say physical health was always, say, like, number five on the priority list. So I never really got to it. It was never a huge deal. I never felt like I was all that healthy. But once I did it just for thirty days, well, now it can fall back down to number five on the list, and I can maintain it. So for me, that's something that really helps, and I always need to keep challenging myself to stay excited. So, all right, what's this month's challenge going to be? And, yeah, I like that.
1: Um, I like it a lot. I like it you know. a lot. It's like
0: yeah, it's, it's little, fun for me anyway. Little yeah.
2: micro bursts of something yeah. new and fresh, and trying something different, but, and who knows what the benefits will be? Yeah,
1: kind of like that. You like to run miles. It's like a sprint, right? Mm-hmm. It's like a like a short duration thing that you can gain some success, gain some momentum, see some results. And then you can put it in maintenance, but you've improved in that area of your life. And yeah. gosh, if you do that every month, gosh, you've got a lot. I mean, if you improve 12 things in your life, that's huge. Yeah.
0: Right. So that's why I think rather than setting one giant goal at the I beginning of the that. year or anything like that, or trying to like rearrange everything in my life, I just do that for one month and see what happens. Um, there's some habits I haven't stuck to. I did it for 30 days and I thought, eh, wasn't exactly life altering. <laughs> Let's do something else. And um, but I like to do experiments like that.
2: Yeah, that's awesome. I like that because it's just like it's kind of seeing what what works. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like the advice you give your kids when they go to college. Like, oh, just try a little bit of everything and see. And so, yeah, I think sometimes it gets – you said the word overwhelming, and I think that's where I've stopped on these life-altering habits because I tried to do too much and it was too overwhelming, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Instead right. Of, so like, oh, I'm going to live this healthy lifestyle and be this way which is all good intentions, but maybe if I said, hey, for the next 30 days, I'm going to do this and see what happens. I like that. Yeah.
1: And now it looks like you're impacting, uh, wanting to impact a younger generation, right? You've got a new book out and about kids and 13 Things. What's the actual title of it?
0: 13 Things Strong Kids Do. So all my other books are about what not to do. But when it came to kids, I thought, well, if we teach kids healthy habits now, maybe they won't grow up to develop those bad habits that – we have as adults. So if we just instill these now. And my 11 year old niece also reminded me, she said, Amy, kids get told what not to do all the time. Can you just tell us what to do? And I thought, <laughs> all right, let's go awesome. for it. So it's really written for like the eight 8- to 12 year old range, but it's just about how do you uh, change the way that you think? How do you know that everything you think isn't true? How do you manage your emotions when you're sad, when you're angry? How do you know when to embrace those feelings versus when to change them? And then how do you take some kind of productive action? How do you face your fears and act brave?
2: Any favorites out of that? If you look at that book, something to do. I love that. I love the concept. What's your favorite? So one of
0: my favorites in that one is persistence. That mentally strong kids persist. And it's really about how do you stick to something even Mm. when you don't want to, whether it's that math paper that seems dreadful or you're uh, trying soccer for the first time and you're awful at it. But how do you persist? How do you keep going even when you don't feel like it?
2: I love that. The the, the message of tenacity gets glossed over, particularly for little kids. I think we put so much emphasis on the talent side of, you know, we see these, you know, you got to be this talented to be this to be successful but it's, it's always the tenacity. It's always the never quitting is mm-hmm. what, what, what advances people.
1: And I even like, it seems like the theme from book to book and even in your subject matter is about, uh, it's not about the emotion, right? It's about doing it anyway, right? So, because emotions are always, it's like the weather. They're, you know, no matter where unreliable. you live, the weather's unreliable and it's always going to change. But if you have good habits that are consistent and you have things built in your life, right, then, then you're pre-programmed for success versus just at the whim of, Your emotions or of life. Is that kind of in the right vein there?
0: It is. So I think we would all be served better if we were taught more about feelings and how do you Mm -hmm. how do you experience them and how do you express them? How do you know when to embrace them? And in the kids book, which it's an exercise I've used with lots of adults, too, is to just figure out, are my feelings a friend or an enemy right now? We talk so much about feelings being either positive or negative, like happiness is good and anger is bad. But the truth is, any emotion has the potential to be helpful or hurtful. Mm I'm when people are excited they fall prey to a get-rich-quick scheme, even really smart people, because their emotions cloud their judgment. So it's not helpful. But then sometimes anger is helpful. When it makes you stand up to something that you believe in, it's helpful. So I think for us to just spend more time figuring that out, like, is this emotion helpful or not? And how do I manage this emotion in a healthy way? We live in such a world where we want a quick fix like we reach for alcohol or we reach for food to eat or uh, start scrolling through our phones to relieve an uncomfortable emotion but part of being stronger isn't just about suppressing your emotions or distracting yourself it's about building confidence that you can tolerate those uncomfortable feelings sometimes
2: Hmm. i love it it's like harnessing the the tension like we were talking Mm -hmm. about last week you know it's like it's it's hanging on to knowing which tension to hang on to and harness and and do something with it right
0: right Yeah. yeah
2: Yes. I love that. What would you say uh, – before you wrote the the kids' book, you had uh, two other books of what uh, parents shouldn't do and then what mentally strong women don't do. What about from the parent side? Obviously, I'm the father of four daughters, and mm-hmm. Matt's got two I got kids, two, of my two own, little yeah. ones. What shouldn't we do? Just kind of what your favorites out of that one, like things that we uh, should So
0: that do. one is really about uh, like not shielding kids from pain, not taking mm-hmm. responsibility for kids' emotions. Uh, because I'm, we're finding that when they ask college kids, are you prepared for school? Like 90% of them say academically, yes. Yet almost that same number says emotionally, no, because nobody taught them. How do you When you're sad because you failed a test, what do you do? Or when you have a fight with your roommate, how do you handle that? Or when you're anxious about something coming up next week, how do you manage your emotions? And if we're not teaching kids how to deal with their emotions, then uh, we're doing them a huge disservice in life. And I think we should really spend more time doing that but as parents it's so tempting to to calm our kids down to cheer them up to do those things for them rather than teach them how to do it themselves
2: love it well as we're getting close to wrapping up here is there anything that we haven't hit upon that we you wish we would have talked about kind of a last minute thing what, what should we have talked about
0: well i guess just the other thing i would say is that uh We're all stronger than we think. Your brain Mm. will underestimate you. It works so hard to keep you inside your comfort zone. It will lie to you. It will tell you you can't handle something. It will convince you that you shouldn't make a change or you shouldn't do something different in your life. But if you can learn to challenge your brain when it tells you you can't do this and you do it anyway, you can literally change your brain to start to see you differently. You can... Uh, train your thoughts so that they aren't as negative or that they don't always underestimate you. And we can see it on brain scans. When people start working on challenging their thoughts, their brain physically changes over time. But you have to put yourself out there and trust that, okay, I don't feel like I can do this. I don't think I can do it, but I'm going to try it anyway.
2: Well, that's the edge of living, right? I mean, where the growth zone and the comfort zone kind of collide and they don't coincide in the same space. And if you can stay in that growth zone, that's what it's all about, right?
0: Exactly. I mean,
2: that's that's where life kind of begins, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: Yeah, that's amazing. So it's been I I'm just thrilled to be able to spend this time with you today because uh, it's I'm inspired. I've I've written a whole page full of notes <laughs> and I'm like writing stuff down and circling it and so no I think it's just I think it's awesome. I'm I think the world's a better place because you're in it and just your light and your energy and your vibrance that it, it just shines through. So thank you for doing your work. Thank you for writing the books and inspiring others to that it that you it. Everybody goes through things, right? Everybody goes through things, and you're an example of that, you know, there is light on the other side, and there's still discomfort. There's still emotion. There's still life happening, but you're just choosing to, to address it and, and uh, I guess, grab it and embrace it and using it as fuel to help others. I think that's amazing.
2: Yeah, I love what you're doing. Four books. Mm-hmm. you got the podcast. Very well mind, editor uh, editor-in-chief of that, uh, the Mentally Strong People podcast. How mm-hmm. can people get in touch with you? I'll have links to all this. Uh, well, on, it's
0: now become the Very Well Minds Very podcast. Well mind now, that we've, yeah. now that we've joined forces, it used to be called Mentally Strong People. Uh, my website is the best place to find out more information, and it's Amy Morin, LCSW is in licensedclinicalsocialworker.com.
2: Amy, thanks for coming on the show. Yes. This is, thanks this is much. So, so nice to meet you, and we look forward to staying in touch. Thanks for coming.
0: Thank on. you so much for having me.
2: Hey! Thanks so much for tuning into the show. I hope you got some value out of this episode. If you did, please do me a huge favor: tell somebody about this show. Tell your spouse. Tell your kids. Tell your coworkers. Let them know about the value that those leadership brings to your world. Go to dosaleadership.com. You can learn more about my services. If you're looking for somebody to speak, teach, or coach about leadership, I'm your guy. I'm known for my ability to transform individuals and organizations, teaching them the concept of creating a culture of decentralized leadership. I do think that is the secret sauce to facing all the challenges that we face today. Thanks so much for tuning into the show. I look forward to the next time we're together. And until the meantime, make it a great one.